All right, good morning, afternoon, or just good evening, whichever time of day you are tuning in to watch this broadcast. I'm glad you have joined us this evening, or morning or day for that matter. And I want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2. I do that uh, while I kind of make my introduction. First off, I want to give a couple of shout-outs to uh, Stephen Hodgen. Stephen was not supposed to do triple duty last week. Uh, he wasn't supposed to do all three. Uh, I had to cancel late on him uh, because my family had a COVID quarantine situation going on. And we felt best that I just stay out of the building during that time. We're all doing very well. Everyone's made a full recovery. We're good. We're moving on with life. And we thank you for your prayers during that time frame. Uh, second, I want to give a shout out to Brent Sappington and Jeremy Jones. Uh, I don't think they have missed a single week, either one of them, through all of this. Uh, they have been here to make sure we have broadcasted every week, and they are to be commended for that. So thank you, gentlemen, for that, and those that have helped them, such as Brant's son, who is currently running audio for us right now. Uh, I also want to say, if you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube or whatever, go ahead and click uh, like or share so that this message can get out there to, uh, to people beyond maybe our normal, our normal team or normal group of people, and share this information out there. Uh, it's just a good way to get Boonville Church of Christ information uh, before the community. And so now, as Stephen mentioned last week, I was supposed to do this Bible class in the Annex this evening, uh, this Sunday evening. And because of the current situation, we are doing just broadcast and recording these uh, so that we can put them out at a later time. But we are studying Bible characters. And... This is a virtual class, right? This is a pre-recorded session where I'm supposed to give information to you. Unfortunately, I can't teach that way. Uh, so we are going to pretend, or I'm going to pretend like I have a massive audience before me. It is my job as a teacher to bring this story to life so that you can see it in your mind's eye, that you can imagine yourself being there. And if I do that, hopefully it will help you understand this story. The second thing that I will do is I will ask questions and I will pause. There's nothing wrong with your video feed. There's nothing wrong with your computer when I pause and just stare at the computer. That is giving you time to think. Because I believe when we think about things that are going on, we do a better job of understanding the story and things that go in behind that. <clears throat> so without further ado, let's introduce our Bible character. But before I say his name, I want to talk about shoes for just a second. Now, that may sound weird that I say that when I'm fixing to talk about a Bible character, but every once in a while, there are people that have big shoes that you have to fill. I remember we were at one of Tristan's cross-country meets uh, this earlier in the year, and his coach has won something like 26 state titles. He's had won the, the National Coach of the Year Award, and he's one of those guys everyone knows, loves, and cares about. And he set the bar extremely high, and he's going to be retiring, hopefully, in many years from now, but we know it's going to be fairly soon, and he has an assistant coach for the first time this year. And we were talking about her that we, didn't, we felt sorry for her because no matter what she did with the program, no matter how good a job she did, she will never fill those shoes, right? And so I want to kind of have that image in your mind. Think through someone you know that just sets the bar so high that no matter who comes behind them, they're just not going to measure up, right? They're just, it's not their fault. They're just going to live in the shadow. And so when we talk about prophets in, in the Old Testament, what, you know, there's a few that come to mind instantly, right? 
Elijah comes to mind. Isaiah comes to mind. Daniel comes to mind. But one that came in a sequence of events that I kind of feel sorry for is a man named Elisha. And I have to make sure I bring out that, those last three letters of his name, Sha and not Elijah, because if I just say Elisha, you're instantly going to think I'm talking about Elijah, but I'm not. I'm talking about the guy that came behind Elijah. You know, could you imagine trying to fill Elijah's shoes? Uh, to my knowledge, there are only two people that did not face death in the Bible. Two in the whole Bible. That's how good Elijah was, right? And so Elisha has to come up behind him. He has to follow that guy. And so think of yourself in that regard and put yourself in Elisha's shoes as we go through this story that he is expected to come behind possibly the greatest prophet that ever walked on the face of the earth during that Old Testament time. And so as we go through this, put yourself in that, you're trying to fill this man's shoes. Second, you have spent basically your entire adulthood, slash possibly even adolescent years, with Elijah. This is your mentor, this is your friend, you look at him like a father, and you love this individual. And so put yourselves in that situation too. So this is a person you care about deeply too, not just that you're going to have to fill his shoes, but also that you love and care about him. So as we go into 2 Kings chapter 2, and we're going to read this whole account, I wouldn't normally do this in a class, because I think normally this would take me two classes to get through, but we're going to do it in one, since there's not an audience to give, it, give us feedback through this. Uh, but we're going to read this entire account, and it's not a very long account, and I encourage you to do that, as, uh, read along with me as we go through here. So starting in verse 1, it says, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. So they are leaving Gilgal and they're going somewhere else. Verse 2 says, Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. Listen to Elisha's response. He says, But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Now let's just pause right there for just a second. And I want you to think, for a couple of reasons, why Elisha might have said that to Elijah. Now, those that are astute Bible scholars may know that later on we find out that Elisha knew Elijah was about to leave. It could be that Elisha didn't want Elijah to go to Bethel. Now, why would he not want him to go to Bethel? Well, Bethel was kind of a unique city. Bethel, which is called the house of God, had kind of turned from those ways. And if you go backwards in time in Kings, you'll learn that Bethel was one of the first places that the Israelites built a golden calf to worship to. And that's going to be important for you to remember. They built, with their own hands, a part of the creation to worship. So they were going to worship that creation. They might not take kindly to Elijah coming to visit them. So it might have been that Elisha was concerned for Elijah's safety. And he may have been thinking, wait, I know he's about to leave, but if I can keep him from going to Bethel, maybe I can save his life. Maybe it could be, I love and care about this person, and I don't want to let them go. I think those of us that have lost a loved one can relate to that side standpoint. Maybe if I can just hold on long enough. Maybe I can keep Elijah here on earth with me. 
We don't know exactly what prompted this statement, but this statement's going to be said multiple times as we go through this. So let's read it one more time. He says, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Now, does that sound like a statement maybe from the New Testament that you have heard too? Not the exact words, but a similar statement. I hope Peter when he had that conversation with Christ, that, hey, I won't leave you no matter what, and Christ says, no, you're going to deny me three times. He says, I will never deny you. It's a very similar language used here, where Elisha is saying, I'm not going to leave you. And to Elisha's credit, he doesn't. That's a little foreshadowing in the story, right? He doesn't ever leave Elijah. But look as we go through this. It says, after he says that to him, he says, so they went down to Bethel, we're now at verse 3. It says, and the sons of the prophets, the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel, came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your away your master from over you? Now, you're Elisha, and someone just came out, and we don't know the tone with which they said this. They could have been, they could have been sympathetic. They could have almost been like, Hey, he's going away today, do you know that? Or they could have been like, you, you know he's going away, right? And I want you to listen to Elisha's response. He says, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Now, I'm going to convert that into 2020 language. Keep your mouth shut. Yeah, I got it. I don't need any more help. Keep your mouth shut. We're not talking about that right now. Elisha does not want this to happen. Elisha does not want Elijah to leave, and he tells these sons of the prophets, Yes, I know it. And it's almost like, and I, don't, I hope this comes across the right way, have you ever had a conversation with somebody and they're telling you something that you have known for a very long time and they should know that? For example, I don't need to tell a carpenter the dimensions of a two-by-four. That might offend them. Because they probably know it more than I do since I don't ever deal with that type of thing. The sons of the prophets. Did you catch that? Not the prophets. The sons of the prophets, they run out there and they have a, they have a, they have a, a story to tell, right? He's going away today. He's like, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Keep that in mind because that's going to happen multiple times through the story. Verse 4, Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. Now, we don't know why Elijah doesn't want Elisha to be present. It may be that Elijah didn't know exactly how he was fixing to meet his end. He may have known he was going to go up in a whirlwind. He may have thought he was fixing to die. God may have told you, I'm calling you home today. We don't know, but Elijah was trying to protect Elisha, it seems, because this happens multiple times. But look at the response. As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. So they started in Gilgal, they went to Bethel, now they're in Jericho. So this journey is taking days, if not weeks, to occur at this point. Verse 5, the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha. So here we go again, and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? What do you think Elisha's response is going to be? It's the same thing. Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. We're not talking about that today. Verse 6, Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, 
for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. Now, for some reason, when I read this, and I say this getting ready for the class, I think of that song we sing that I'm only crossing over Jordan. You know, I don't know if that would have had the same implications to Elisha when he said that. Like, listen, it's time for me to go. I'm going to the River Jordan. I'm crossing over. But he says, I'm going to the Jordan. But he gets the same response for the third time. As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And then 50 men, these 50 men are very important in the story, so make sure you don't forget them. It says, 50 men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. In other words, these 50 men see what's about to happen. It's very important you remember that. These 50 men, they stood at a distance from them, and it says, as they were both standing by the Jordan. So the two of them, get this in your mind, think of the river, and the closest river I can think of to us is the Tom Bigby River. The Jordan looks nothing like that because that's a man-made ditch, but it's good enough for our illustration. So think of yourself standing there at the Tom Bigby River. In this case, it would be the Jordan. You're on the edge of that river. Two men are standing there. There's a group of about 50 right over there looking at them. Now remember, they know Elijah's fixing to be called home. They don't know how it's going to happen, but they know it's fixing to happen. Elijah and Elisha are standing at the river's edge. History is about to happen, and these 50 people are going to witness it. They stand there, and a miracle is about to happen. Verse 8, Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry land or dry ground, depending on which translation you have. Now, I would imagine if we asked our five- or six-year-olds, did God ever part water so men could walk over on dry land, they would emphatically tell you yes. But they would probably not mention this particular parting of the waters. Because this didn't happen very many times in the Bible, but we don't tend to teach this parting of the waters because only two people went across here. But he struck it with the water, he parted it to one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over. Verse 9, it says, when they had crossed. Now, once again, let's go back to the Tom Bigby example I mentioned earlier. You're standing on, that, on the edge of that river. You've watched, these two, you've watched Elijah part the waters. You think you're going to stay further away, stay still, or move closer? Well, you just saw something awesome happen. You might want to get a little bit closer. I don't know. They cross over but could you still see two people standing on the other side of the river? Absolutely you could. It's not that big of a river. The Jordan River is not massively wide either. You could easily still see two people standing on the side of the river. So these 50 men are still there. They're watching this. They cross over, and Elijah says to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. In other words, Elisha... It is time. I've got to go now. What can I do for you? How can I make this easier on you? Is the question. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. What does that mean? Let there be a double portion of your spirit. He's not asking, I do not believe, to be twice the prophet Elijah was. That's simply not even practical. We believe what he's actually asking for here is basically an inheritance of the firstborn's equivalent. Now, why does that matter? To us, 
That's not a significant thing in our culture. But back then, he would have received a much larger portion of the blessing. We believe he is actually asking to be the chief prophet of God. Now, we don't know if that's actually something Elijah can give, because God chooses that. And so when you look at Elisha's response, it kind of makes sense. And he says, and he said, you have asked for a hard thing. In other words, Elisha, that, that, that's not really something I can give. That's not exactly easy. This is a hard thing you've asked for. But, or yet, if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. In other words, if you see me taken away, it's yours. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Verse 11, and as they still went on and walked. Now, I don't know why. I don't know why. But I have always thought this journey was still going away from the River Jordan. But I want you to change that mind's eye picture. If you had that same assumption all these years that you've read this story, that you thought they were continuing to go away, in other words, they crossed over and kept going further away from the river, I do not believe that happened. And I'm going to bring that out from the text in just a minute. I believe when they crossed the River Jordan, they actually turned right or left, and they followed the River Jordan there on the bank. And I'll tell you why in a second, but let's keep going with this. But as they still went and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. Now, I don't know why this is the case, but I remember hearing this story up till about this point when I was in grade school at Iuka. I remember hearing this in church. And for some reason, that artist picture always had the chariots of fire going around in a circle and the whirlwind in the middle. But that is not what I read when I read this. What I read is, and, and just bear with me for a second, what I read when I read this is something more akin to this. Elisha is here, and Elijah is, let's say, directly in front of me. We are having a conversation. And I want you to get like an old western in your mind where you've got like a steam, like where you've got like a stagecoach moving fast, and the guys pull back on the reins and stop it. That's the image I want you to have here. It says chariots of fire and chariots of horses pulled up and separated them. Those chariots of fire may have stopped. And I don't know why we always depict them going in a circle in that church art, but there's nothing in the Bible that says they went in a circle. And if you think about it, it makes more sense for them to be still because chariots of fire separating two people, Elisha cannot get past the chariots of fire. It has built a wall between him and Elijah. Just like there's a wall between us and heaven, there's now a wall between Elisha and Elijah, those chariots and those fire and those horsemen. And then something miraculous happens that Elisha witnesses. And you know what's about to happen. And it says, And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Now, this story is written basically in the first person where we have Elijah and Elisha's perspectives. But, I don't remember, I mentioned those 50 men across the river that were watching this. They saw this. Well, Jonathan, how do you know they saw it? Well, I'll tell you in a minute when we get there. But they saw this. So this was a whirlwind large enough to be seen across from the river. The choruses of fire, the chariots were there. This whirlwind, which I assume, and this is my assumption, was very akin to a tornado that you or I have seen in our lifetimes. I remember the first time I ever saw a tornado. 
I was about 11 or 12 years old. I got off the school bus, and my dad was sitting in the car at the end of the driveway. My dad never did that, ever. And he says, hey, get in the car. We're going to Piggly Wiggly. That was clue number two something was wrong because dad never went to Piggly Wiggly. So we all get in the car, and he takes off to Piggly Wiggly. We get in the Piggly, Piggly Wiggly parking lot, and we get out of the car, and dad says, look, and we turn around, and we look back towards where our house was, and there was a tornado. Now, it missed our house, but that was the first time I've ever seen a tornado. And any human being that has ever seen a tornado close enough that they saw it with their own eyes, it leaves an impression. And you see the destruction, and you know it throws things. Keep that in mind. This whirlwind literally pitched through, tossed, whatever word you want to use, Elijah to heaven. It took him up. And the 50 men across the river saw this. Verse 12, And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Now let's think back in the text. Elijah said, If you see me leave, Elisha just saw him leave, you will get what you asked for. So we now know that Elisha is going to be the chief prophet of God. I want you to think through this for one second. In a matter of moments, Elisha was talking to Elijah. Chariots, plural, of fire, with horses, plural, and horsemen, showed up, blocked the two of them apart, a whirlwind formed, and Elijah disappeared from the face of the earth, and so did the horses and fire and chariots disappear. If you witness something like this, what would you do? The image that instantly comes to my mind is Elisha probably hit his knees. One, because he was sad. He did not want Elijah to leave. Two, because this was without a doubt a holy event, and that tends to make us bow. Kind of like when it talks about Judgment Day, every knee shall bow. So in my mind, Elisha is crying, and he's basically on the ground. And everything instantly goes calm. Now that's step number two. Have you ever been away from a tornado? Like you knew one was close to you? How eerily calm that is around you? Or the eye of a hurricane, how eerily still that is? So it's calm. And Elisha is on the ground, I imagine. And he's cried out. And it just all of a sudden, calm. There's 50 people across the river watching this too. What is Elisha's response? And Elisha saw it, and he cried. We read that already. And he saw him no more. Then halfway through that verse it says, Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He was vexed. He was sad. He was mourning so much that he ripped his clothes apart. Then in verse 13, Elisha kind of gathers himself. Now what do I mean by that? I think all of us, if we live long enough, get news that we don't expect, we don't want to hear. And it, it hits you like a freight train when it hits you. But then there's a recovery phase after that, and then it hits you again later on sometimes. But the point I'm making is, is I think his, 
Elisha realizes what has happened. Verse 13, it's time to get up and get moving again. Remember, he left Gilgal, went to Bethel, went to Jericho, went to the Jordan, crossed the Jordan, walked up the Jordan for a while. Now, I said I think they walked up the Jordan. I'm fixing to show you why I think that's the case. It says, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him. Now, when I say this, I almost see Elisha on the ground. He's mourning. He's sad. He's torn his clothes. And as he kind of opens his eyes and he kind of looks around out of his dazed and confused state, he looks over, and there's Elijah's cloak on the ground. What do you think he did? What would you do? You pick it up. It's something physical you can touch that belonged to a loved one you just lost. And he picks it up and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. You get the impression the way that's read that he was very close to the waters when this happened. And then, verse 14, it says, Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him. What is the first miracle that Elisha performed? Now, if you're reading ahead, you just cheated, and you now know the answer. But I imagine if I ask that to most, most Christians, what is the first miracle that Elisha performed as the chief prophet of God, you would be like, no clue. That's okay. We don't study our Old Testament the way we should. What's the second and the third miracle? And how long did it take him to perform those things? We're going to go over those in just a second, because they're all in this one chapter. But let's look at this first miracle. He takes the cloak... That have fallen, he strikes the water, Jordan, and he says something odd. Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? That almost sounds like blasphemy at first glance. What do you mean, where is he at, Elijah? Chariots of fire just showed up in front of you, and a whirlwind just shot Elijah to heaven. What do you mean, where is he at? You just saw an action with your own eyes. How did you miss that? I don't think that's the way he said that. I think he knows he is now the chief prophet of God, and he is calling on God to help. Because remember, there's no bridge here. Don't forget that. Elisha, or excuse me, Elijah, made him be able to cross that river the first time. He strikes the water, he asks where God is, and when he struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. The first miracle performed by Elisha was crossing water, crossing dry land between a river that he had parted with the help of God. And I'd be willing to bet most people would not know that was his first miracle. That's kind of a big one. Like, it didn't happen very often in the Bible, right? When men just separated the river. This happened twice in one chapter. But it's Elisha's first miracle. So it, it, you almost think it's got to go downhill from here, right? I mean, you've done this big thing. Your second one can't be that great. But let's look at the second one. But it says he goes over the river. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. I don't know what, how they knew that just from looking at him. I don't know if his countenance had changed slightly. I don't know. But it says, and they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him, and they said to him. Now remember I said these 50 men saw this. 
this is the text I'm basing that on, because look at what they propose as a possibility of what happened. It's preposterous, but at the same time, it's sad too. Look at this, it says, And they said to him, Behold now, there are with you servants, fifty strong men. Fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It, it, it may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. In other words, that whirlwind we just saw, it, he may not have gone to heaven, Elijah, it may have just thrown him up on a mountain. It may have tossed him up on the, into a valley. Now, any logical human being knows if a tornado hits a human with a direct hit, they're probably not going to survive it. Not in their physical form. Elisha, who was standing literally right beside it when it happened, he knows what has happened. He also knows he just parted the river, so he knows he's the chief prophet of God, and he knows that Elijah's gone. This is one of those moments, remember I mentioned earlier, he has more knowledge than you. There's a saying that we use sometimes, don't debate the judge. That's what they're doing here. They start almost having a conversation with him, and Elisha says, you shall not send. In other words, no. Don't go look for him, you're going to waste your time. Don't send anybody. Verse 17, but when they urged him, Till he was ashamed or embarrassed, depending on your translation, he said, send. They sent therefore 50 men, and for three days they sought him, but did not find him. So day one, Elisha loses Elijah. He crosses the river that he separated. He gets across those 50 men that witnessed this, that saw the whirlwind to pick up Elijah. They say maybe they toss him up in a river or maybe they toss him up on a mountain. We'll go look for him. They go look for three days. So we're on day four now of Elisha's reign, if you will, as a, the chief prophet of God. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho and he said to them, Did I not say to you, do not go? In other words, I told you so. Verse 19, Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He, he said, meaning Elisha, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw the salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water from now on. Neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha spoke. Second miracle, day four. Second miracle we have recorded by Elisha was he purified these waters. Now we have no idea what was wrong with them, what was causing miscarriages and deaths from this water. We just know they were. We also know that pouring a bowl of salt into water will not fix anything other than making the salinity of the water change a little bit. Notice the comment, thus the Lord says. The salt was purely symbolic, letting them see that God did something. They purifies the waters. That's the second miracle. First one had to do with water. He separated the water. Second miracle, he purifies the water so that people quit dying and having miscarriages. Two kind of big things. So what do you think the third thing that Elisha is going to call on God to do is going to... I mean, if one and two were that big, 
Three's got to be great. Well, let's read on. Verse 23, And he went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered or made fun of him, made mocked him at him, saying, now this is just highly offensive to me, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. Now, let's just stop for a second. It's not cool to make fun of bald people, okay? I haven't had to use a comb in like 15 years. You know, I haven't used a brush in 20 the point I'm making is, is you know, you may think you have a better head, but I like mine better. But we don't know that Elisha was actually bald because he actually had hair loss. This may actually be a sign that he was the prophet of God. He may have been perfectly shaved, and they knew that. So in other words, these small boys are mocking a prophet of God. Now what we get is, these are children. They're not called young men, they're not called youth, they are called small boys. We can deduct to that, they're probably less than the age of 12. Now, small boys can be fun, and they can also be obnoxious. This group falls in the obnoxious group. What happens here is one of those stories in the Bible that you're just like, that just happened? It says, and he turned around, for some reason this is, I get like Dwayne Johnson the Rock doing his eyebrow like, what'd you say? It says he turns around and he looks at them. And he saw them and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. We don't know how many small boys were there, but we know 42 were mauled by bears. It seems like a bit of an overreaction, does it not? I mean, someone makes fun of my bald head. I don't wish death or mauling on them. I just educate them on why a bald head's better. But this response doesn't, in our minds, make sense. These are young boys. They just, I mean, if there was more than the number we are given... They just saw their friends get mauled by a bear. This is a traumatic experience. I want us to take some lessons away from this. But we're going to finish the chapter and we're going to go back to this story. Because I want, to know, I want you to notice how insignificant the Bible makes this story. Or excuse me, not the story. The mauling of the children. It says they were mauled. And then we just move on. Look at this. From there, he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there, he returned to Samaria. Went back to where he came from. I'm sorry, what? Can, can we get a little bit of elaboration, please? Well, let's think through, and I'm going to do one of those weird pauses in virtual, virtual class where I want your brain to work. What lessons can you take away from these small boys that were mauled by the bear? I'm going to pause for a second and just let you think. Hopefully you've thought of at least one now. I'm going to share four or five as I went through this lesson that popped into my head. And hopefully, you know, if I don't mention something you thought of, please 
you know, send that to me via text or instant messenger or whatever, and I would love to hear some more thoughts from this. Lesson number one from the small boys. Parents, teach your children to respect adults. Regardless of how you feel about bald people, this was a highly disrespectful act by young children. And not just a few of them. This was a lot of them. That's lesson number one. Parents, teach your kids to respect older individuals. Lesson number two. Did you remember from the earlier story that the men instantly realized Elijah's spirit was on Elisha? There's no reason to believe these young boys didn't know this was a prophet of God too. Teach your children to respect the word of God. Now, Elisha was not God. He was not the son of God. But as the chief prophet, he delivered the words from God to people. So step two, parents teach your children to respect the word of God. What's the third one? This is for our younger people. And unfortunately nowadays our older people too. Don't follow the crowd. The first time I ever did this lesson was several months ago when we in America for some reason decided to start burning down our own cities to make a point. And so this had a lot of more impact at that point, but I want you to get those memories which are not too far along where we just decided as a crowd to go start destroying stuff. Young people, young adults, and older adults. Just because someone else decides to attack something or someone doesn't give you the right to go attack something or someone. Don't follow the crowd. Because I can guarantee you, if these 42 boys could talk to you, they would be like, I wish I hadn't said, go up, you bald head. I wish I hadn't been chanting crowd speak. Listen to them. What's another lesson we can learn from them? Choose your words carefully. Just because a thought comes into your brain, and it is an excellent thought, does not mean the world needs to hear it. I have watched over the last nine months a division arise that is astounding to me over stupid, and I'm sorry for using that word, but over just plain out stupid things. I have seen people quit friendships and relationships over opinions that neither one can say is actual fact. This is the lesson I want you to really get home today. Love the person more than your opinion. I'm going to say that one more time. Love the person more than your opinion. These boys, for some reason, did not like Elisha. Now, it's probably because their parents were worshiping that golden calf they built earlier, and they were mocking the prophet of God. But if they had loved the human being in front of them more than their opinion, they wouldn't have mocked Elisha, and they wouldn't have been bawled by she-bears. I hope there are many more lessons we could learn from this. I hope you've enjoyed your time with studying Elisha and the first three miracles or first three things that he did as a chief prophet. I hope something today helped you. 
Um, I really appreciate you tuning in. I hope you all have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you so much for watching.